spit in their faces and I get afraid of what that could bring. Uh, with us now is Jacqueline from Tomoki Makoto. Jacqueline, welcome. Kia You don't get lyrics like that these days. Oh. Did, you get it, did, you, did you get it straight off? I did. Well, my secret superpower is remembering song lyrics and then <laughs> I can't remember people's names or anything useful. Like why I walk into a room, but song lyrics stick with me forever. So, yes, as soon as I heard it, I thought that's Tori Amos having a big angst about something. Having a big angst, but how good is this song? It is really good, but do you know, so I loved this album, this whole album and her whole thing when I was in my early 20s. Yeah. But I listened to it again last year, now I'm in my late 40s and got Spotify. And oh my lord, it's so melodramatic. Like, I must have had a very easy early 20s and needed drama because now that I'm actually in my late 40s and have, you know, children and a job and responsibilities, I was just like, oh, for God's sake, love. For God's sake. Calm down. And I mean, she had terrible things happen to her, so, you know, I do understand that. But. But yeah, every single song, and I even messaged my younger sister and said, "Oh my god, have you listened to this?" And she was like, "Yeah, it's a lot. It's, it's a really lot to dramatic. take on." Yeah, but oh, yeah. Uh, um, now let's bring up panelists because I forgot how powerful the song, particularly the piano playing. She's an extraordinary piano player. You know, Peabody at the age of five, apparently. Ed Amon. Have you heard of Tori Amos? No, I haven't. You were putting me on the spot again. You're kidding? Uh, yeah, I've never, I've never, I've never heard uh, this song, and. Uh, I don't remember her hearing the name Tori Amos. You've never heard of the name Tori Amos? No. no. And when you, when you said the lyrics, I was thinking, who is this goth person uh, <laughs> writing this song? It must be, um, it must be insane, but uh, great. It, it has weird lyrics, and I love it. Nalini? No, I'm, I'm with Ed on this one. Okay, Not familiar. So, okay, um, so no one knows of Tori Amos, uh, Jacqueline. I did uh, cheat uh, and look out. Simply unbelievable. You young panellists today. They're no. very young. <laughs> <laughs> They're very young. Uh, just, uh, yeah, I mean, for many, Jacqueline, growing up, Tori Amos was the musician, huh? Oh, she had all the feels. Like, if you yep. were really feeling that your life was tough because you had an essay due or something, Tori Amos just tapped into that well of <laughs> grief and discontent, and you could listen to this and think, she gets me. She understands how hard my life is. Oh, kia ora, yeah. Jacqueline. Thanks for being with us on the panel. You're welcome. There you that go. Is. So, um, you, 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 you didn't know Kate Bush, no, no. no. You don't no. know Tori Amos. Um, let's start with some, uh, what do they call it? Re-education. <laughs> Re-education program. Maybe it's in uh, Mid-Tel-Top. 
And you then get five put grand it in for there. it. Yeah. Five <laughs> grand to five grand to Notori Amos. <laughs> uh, you're on the panel on RNZ National. Ed Amon, who's comedian and writer, uh, and uh, Nalini Baruch, who is founder Lot Eight Olive Oils, uh, with us today. Completely different topic here. North Island farmers still in cleaning up mode following the destruction left uh, from Cyclone Gabrielle last month. Now facing another major headache. Tens of thousands of kilometres, kilometres rather, of fences were destroyed when the cyclone struck and the total bill to replace them is estimated to be in the hundreds of millions. In response, Farmlands, in partnership with the Federated Farmers and Stuff, Farmlands have launched Post Your Support as a way to directly help those whose livelihoods are affected. And Fed Farmers is also mobilising the Farming Army to kickstart the work. With us, and to give more insight into this, is Gisborne Farmer and Fed Farmers Meet and World Chairperson, Toby Williams. Toby, welcome. Thank you. Good to have you here, Toby. And look, let's be frank, to a city dweller like myself, I have uh, no understanding of the simple issue of what it takes um, and how important the issue of fencing is to the issue. And I guess that's why you're doing this uh, fundraise and this uh, campaign. Give us an insight and an idea into the scale of the issue. Oh, the scale is massive. You've got farmers that have lost you know, 10 big farms of 10, 12, 13, 14, 15 kilometres of, of fence line. Um, wow. It's expensive. And, and that's a big farm. An average farm's probably lost, that's been severely affected, it's probably lost three to five to six kilometres of fence line. Um, and the key to this really is it costs about $30 a metre to put a fence up. That's an eight wire um, and three batten fence. So it is really expensive. Do the math on that, Edamon. That is extraordinary amounts. That is thirty a, bucks a meter, thousands of k's. That is an insanity. Now, uh, as 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 Wallace said, you know, regular people from from the city would not might not appreciate the importance of fencing. Can you please elaborate how important it yeah. is on farmland? The fence. It's Good not question. just it's not just boundary. It's it's got other purposes. Yeah, yeah. So obviously you've got a boundary that separates you one property to your next. It's exactly the same as if you're in town. You've got a fence that keeps you, you know, you in from your neighbours. Um, but within a, within a farm, we've got you know hundreds of kilometres of fences on 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 farms that mean we can graze our paddocks efficiently. We can save grass um, for cooler times of the year, winter, you know, for your lambing and for your calving, and you can preferentially feed young stock, your lambs and your calves or your weaners and things like that. That means that when you operate your farm, you're operating efficiently. We want our we want our animals to be well fed. We want our animals to be looked after, and the best way to do that is have fences so we can keep them in, in certain areas and know that they've got enough feed to keep to last them for a certain period of time. And then you shift them as you need to. So it is absolutely essential for yeah. a proper running of a farm. Yeah, it is. And you, if you go back. 100, 100 years ago, say, for argument's sake, we had fences. And again, they're expensive and they're hard to put in. We didn't have the modern machinery. But what you had is you had a paddock that would have been 10 times the size of what we have now. The farms back in the, the uh. you know, before World War, um, World War I and World War II, the farms were huge for the most part. And then as those return servicemen came back, you know, we, the government, you know, had the war blocks where they split farms into smaller areas 
for farmers to come back off, you know, as part of their reward for serving the country. Um, so then you've got smaller farms now that, again, are split up uh, with conventional or electric. Electric's cheaper to put up, but it doesn't solve the problem on, on the big extensive properties that have been mostly affected by, that, by these storms, where electric's just too difficult, it's too hard, it's too hard to monitor, so you need an eight-wire fence with batteries. Oh. Right, and uh, Nalini? Toby, hi. Uh, I send you love from, from the wire wrapper. Um, I have a business that relies on the Hawke's Bay and relies on Gisborne. As, as a matter of fact, I make three oils where the ingredients come from Gisborne in the form of fresh citrus. So I fully feel your pain because it affects my business and also because it's given me the opportunity to see first, well, not firsthand, but certainly from photos that have been sent to us, what has happened to places like Hawke's Bay and to Gisborne. Um, just regarding the fencing, though, is priority, is there sort of some sort of a priority system? Are we going to see support for stock farmers coming in first to keep stock in, you know, within the territory and then on to other farms? Yeah, I mean, that's where we're working through at the moment. How do you, the funding's fantastic. Government mm. support's fantastic and the public support behind these campaigns is incredible. But, you know, how, what we're working through with the machinations of how do you provide that support to farmers? Because, mm. We can't just do first in first serve because someone gets the whole farm refenced mm. and someone else misses out. So that's not fair. Right. We're not in the business of picking winners and losers here. So no. we're working through how do you best solve help with this, help farmers do it? Understanding that we can't, nobody's going to step up and, and refence your entire farm for you. That's impractical. Um, and to be fair to all those other businesses and things that have been affected, you know, the government, is the government then going to come along and replant your kiwi fruit and all of your apples? Mm. Or if you were a, a business in Auckland that was flooded um, and those floods, is there, are they going to come back in and go, well, actually, you know, we're going to redo your entire business for you? Can you, tell, um, sorry, can you tell us a bit about the Farmy Army? Yeah, so the Farmy Army has been set up by Federated Farmers. It happened actually back in the, Kai, in the Kaikoura earthquake, maybe a little bit before that. Mm. Um, so what it is, is a lot of work on farm is skilled work. Um, and so you in cities may go, wow, geez, I'd love to head, head out there and help a farmer, <laughs> um, which is fantastic. But if you haven't got the skill set behind you to help put up fences and things like that, it's actually probably more of a hindrance. You have to help pulling stuff out of fences and helping to tidy stuff up. And, you know, and, and the donations, you know, financial donations are, are really, for a city person, are the best way to support a farmer. Okay. And then with the farming army, what we've got is we've got other farmers volunteer to come out help on your farm. We've got the Contractors Association from New Zealand who have got fences and bulldozer drivers and bigger drivers who have got the guys really lined up to go. So we, we can turn up on farm with the farmy army. And the idea is you get in there and you have a team of people to help help make the farmer's life a bit easier. Get some stuff done. Get your boundary fences stock-proof for you so you've got one less job to think about as the farmer. Great to have you on. Wish you well. Uh, yeah, wishing you well, Toby Williams. Kia ora. Thank you for your time there. And thanks for raising the issue here uh, on the panel. That's Fed Farmers Meet and World Chairperson talking about the just the immense cost of the fencing. So a fencing budget is usually around 20 to 50 grand a year. Um, but now a lot of them are staring down bills of fencing of a quarter of a million up to $400,000. So you've got 10 to 20 years worth of fencing budgets in one hit. Is there insur- insurance doesn't cover it. I forgot to ask that question. Well, I could imagine well, it covers part insured. of it. Part of it. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and, and indeed, as Nalini says, depends on uh, the level of insurance on that. Mm. Thank you so much for your response today. Just a couple more on, 
your dream job. I'm an emergency doctor. Best job yes. in the world. Such a privilege to be able to help people in their darkest moments. Love that we all have different views of what makes us happy. It keeps life interesting, says Ruth. And Paul says, hey, I spent 25 years working in mental health. I got broken by the system. I now have my dream job. I'm a postie in Nelson, cycling my e-bike, delivering the mail, chatting to people and working with a really great team. Nice. So, yeah, wonderful. Kia ora to you both, Paul and Ruth there. And um, um, for once uh, on the panel, I seem to get it right with the music. Uh, someone says, I just had to pull the car over to text in my opinion on Tori Amos. <laughs> I love yeah, her yeah. then, and as also in my life in the 40s, I still absolutely love her now. So to all you fellow Tori Amos fans out there, my apologies that I have two panellists have never heard of her, but we will um, oh, but come to But the lyrics are so hard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, the panel, RNZ National, we discussed the so-named policy bonfire, didn't we? Policies that the Prime Minister, Chris Hipkins, has ditched or deferred, like scrapping the clean car upgrade scheme. But Sustainable Coastlines is unimpressed by one that has been deferred. That would see refunds for returning your containers. We all have memories of collecting bottles for cash, recall that, all those Coke and Fanta bottles traded in. Mm -hmm. That has been kicked down the road, not stopped, but just deferred. With us is Sustainable Coastlines CEO, Josh Borthwick. Josh, welcome. Uh, thanks, Ross. Um, um, thanks for having me, and um, kia ora to your panel as Pleasure. well. Pleasure. Yep. So this issue, 20 years in the making, wasn't it? We talked about this uh, for a long time, this idea of um, a uh, policy of uh, returning your containers, and it was always just out of reach. Uh, still the case, you're disappointed. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a real shame because, you know, even under the current, um, had things continued to progress, we were still sort of talking about 2025 before something was actually in place. So deferring it's just going to delay that even further, which is a, a real shame. It certainly doesn't help us with um, it doesn't help our marine uh, our marine animals with all the um, plastics that are ending up in our ocean and, and choking them to death essentially. Part of the idea of sustainable coastlines actually was in part not the only one but actually simply to clean up our coastline and you recently announced a goal to see 60 percent less litter on the coastlines by 2030 uh, will this be somewhat of a setback to that yeah, well, yeah it certainly won't help but um you know we're going to do our best to continue to um provide the sort of insight and data and um, behaviour change that's needed to see that goal through. So that's still really important to us, and I think it's really important to put a bit of urgency on this issue as well. I've, I found something very uh, interested reading uh, the news about it as well. They, even if we are doing our best job in recycling, we are still littering. Can you elaborate on that? Because that was a fascinating concept that, you know, we do, do our best to put everything in the yellow bin and check it and wash it, but still things end up through the stormwater on the beach. Yeah, so we still have a real problem with leakage. So part of that is the value of the stuff that we're recycling. So we don't value it enough to really care about it and ensure mm. that it gets to the right place to be recycled. 
um, part of that's the infrastructure and the setup that we have with curbside collection. So when those bins get picked up by the truck and tipped in, um, often stuff falls out of that, ends up in our store water drains. And there are hundreds of thousands of store water drains around the country, and they all go out to the ocean. So anything that gets picked up in those drains eventually ends up out in the sea. Nalini. Hi, Josh. Um, gosh, question to the Greens Party. You know, your confidence in supply agreement surely must have uh, prompted you to stand up and say this should not, this should not be dumped, uh, Mr Prime Minister, but obviously that hasn't happened. Um, can we, as, as people, as, as, you know, citizens, do something to replace this and what can we do? Yeah, I, I think it's a little bit of a blast from the past. I think Wallace mm. mentioned, you know, our, the old days where we used to um, get collect, get get paid to go and collect bottles and return our bottles. You remember when we used to have um, reusable milk bottles, mm. um, and um, the, the sort of the reuse of items is even more important, I think, than recycling. This this idea that um, we can afford to just consume things once and throw it away um, is crazy and um, and creates real issues. The more we can, you know, reuse products, buy products that are going to last a really long time, um, the greater the positive impact we can have on the environment. Um, and, and at the moment, unfortunately, we're just consuming too much single-use um of everything, you know, we are within the top 15 of the world's worst uh, waste uh, producers per capita, um, which is pretty shocking for New Zealand, and I'm sure. Yeah, but but um, uh, it'll it'll mean an increase of costs to the consumer, and we don't want to pay more for our drinks. Yeah, although the the way that the scheme is constructed is that uh, as a consumer we we end up uh, a little bit better off, you know. So the so we're offsetting the costs of recovering the recycled materials with the payments that are made for for taking them in and disposing of them correctly. So so ultimately we're trying to, well, I guess, the government scheme is trying to move some of that um, cost away from the the ratepayer um, no. and the councils and, and back to the producers of these products, which is, you know, from a um, product stewardship perspective is where it should really sit. Very good indeed. Nice to have you on there, uh, Josh. Josh Borthwick there, Sustainable Coastlines CEO. Uh, what's happening with the, the Cricket Black Caps versus Sri Lanka? Second test, Wellington uh, and Sri Lanka trail by 80 runs. Okay. Uh, and uh, Sri Lanka uh, 164 uh, and 336 for seven. So, oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so the Black Gaz need three more wickets to secure. Uh, so what do you reckon? Uh, you'd be a fan. Uh, in fact, you are a fan, aren't you, up there? Black Caps, yeah. of course. Yep. Good, on, good, good on you to tell me the st- score yep. in between a show. Yep. Very nice. Yep, yep. needing three more uh, wickets to secure the Test Series. So that's just the update on Black Caps versus Sri Lanka. And I'm absolutely loving, by the way, your um, dream job scenarios of what you're actually doing. Uh, Just a couple more here. In my dream job, as a celebrant, I marry gorgeous couples in the most beautiful places, often on top of mountains via a helicopter. And I get to to buy beautiful dresses, Mm. says Liz. Isn't that wonderful? Mm. So many varied responses regarding uh, your dream jobs. 
Well, are you a city dweller looking to flee the congestion, noise and rising costs of our urban centres for a simpler life in the regions? An article on stuff has crunched the numbers. They've found the best place. Not Marlborough, not the wider upper where Nalini <laughs> lives, not central Otago, not Northland. Let's take it to the top spot. Timaru. You heard that right. The South Canterbury District hits all the right spots for affordability, sunshine hours and job prospects. So is it the next and new? With us to presumably sing the virtues of his region is the Mayor <laughs> of Timaru, Nigel Bowen. Kia ora, Nigel. Kia ora. Nice to uh, talk to you. Now, to those who say, and not me, you cannot be serious, what <laughs> makes it, what makes Timaru the place? Yeah, look, it's the uh, the perfect balance, and it's no surprise uh, for locals in saying that it's uh, probably 50-50 split. You know, half yeah. of us want to, you know, sing it from the rooftops and tell everyone about it because we have the jobs and, you know, we know that we've got a, a little powerhouse economy, um, you know, working in regional New Zealand, but there's the other half that don't want to tell too many people because it's, uh, you know, such a good secret. Let's not, t- let's not tell anyone. We want to keep it to ourselves. So um, it's just striking that balance. Let's go around the panel on this. Ed, did you, were you surprised? Well, I was surprised, but Nigel, you're, you're my favourite um, mayor of Timaru, um, which is... Fa- but what do you think, what, what are the specific things, if you can outline, are special about Timaru? Because I recently moved from the city of central of Auckland to Whangaparaua in the north, and I had no idea about Timaru. I could have gone there. Yeah, totally. Um, look, I think we, you know, as I said, we've got the perfect balance. And I think one of the things for our region is we don't suffer a recession like others do of, uh, you know, very much uh, as far as the economy. It's quite diverse. We've got a um, that rural background, but got a really large manufacturing base. And, you know, there's lots of really good uh, businesses here. So, uh, you know, we can weather the storm of one of the, uh, two things, uh, you know, going negative uh, in the larger economy, but we'll still, um, you know, keep going. Um, you know, we've been lucky enough to attract things like the Scott Base rebuild uh, largely. Oh, and okay. Speaks, and speaks a cosmopolitan, capability, yeah. cosmopolitan and diverse population? Yeah, very much so. You know, there's still those, um, you know, lifestyle opportunities if you want to, you know, live a little bit, uh, you know, out of the uh, main area. If you want to live in Tamuka and Geraldine, there's some lovely places to live. But, you know, generally we're a 10-minute uh, or under commute. For me, I live in CBD Timaru, so we're about three minutes from, from work. It's, it's, uh, okay. yeah, it's, it's really good. Nalini, your area, beautiful as it may be, didn't make the grade. What I do you know, make? I know, and I just need to ask Nigel, what lobby company did you use to get number one on that list? <laughs> you might want to talk to my mayors in the South Wire, oh, in the Wairapid region, but hey, well done. Timaru is a lovely place. D- I've always and for a very long time felt that people need to get out of the cities and into the provinces um, just so that we all, you know, get the workforce. We all get um, we, we, we no longer have to worry about workers shortage. Are these sort of things going to sort of happen if people move to um, Timaru as well? You'll have a much greater workforce available to you. Yeah, very much so. Look, we uh, need to fill jobs at the moment and, 
and that would probably be very similar to you know the rest of regional New Zealand. I think you know, hey, I want to claim top spot, and I will shout it from the rooftops. But actually, it just speaks to the capability of regional New Zealand. So, and a lot of my mural friends are in the you know similar um, positions where they know that their economies and their capability uh, is there, and it doesn't always have to be so metro focused. So, is it? Can I, I just that, can I just yeah. jump in and yeah. just say, uh, look, uh, I want to be blunt. The last time I was in Temaru. It was a shocker. I did not like it. In fact, it sucked. You're um, such a city person. Um, uh, uh, but that was in 1990. Can you can can you can you assure me that I need to get back there and actually revisit what the new Timaru has to offer? Yeah, no, look, definitely, and and a lot has changed, you know, since then. You know, back then we would have been. Uh, reliant on you know a couple of freezing works for uh, you know uh, doing well, and if one had closed you know back in those e- uh, years, you know the economy would have been shot. But we've got so much uh, diversity now. So I'm coming and, back. And, I'm coming back, Nigel. Yeah. Nigel, can I be with yeah. your lobbyist and say Wallace, five hundred and twelve thousand dollars average house price. That's right. something to think about. <laughs> Nigel, thanks for being on the program. That's the oh, mayor no of Timaru. Nigel, uh, my husband is staying, is staying in Timaru for two weeks. We so struggled uh, to find nice accommodation. Reached out to friends and fellow colleagues. Uh, and, uh, yes, uh, a bit of response coming through that. We'll sneak that into the Friday mailbag. But someone else has pulled over. What is it about people pulling over today? So I found a place to pull over. I don't like Tori Amos, but... <laughs> Her husband, Robert Fripp, is amazing. <laughs> Ed, I'm Baruch. Thank you for your time. I'm Wallace Chapman. Checkpoint with Lisa Owen is next. I'm back 3.45 tomorrow. Bye-bye.